morning and welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan and joining me today is Craig and Susie. Hello. And Chrissy. Yay, last How does that again. work? It doesn't. I just did it in my head at random and it turned out to be It turned out to be always the way you do it. The order I normally do it. So no, no, I mean, was, what was the meaning of the dice? It wasn't. I was just trying to be funny. Oh, 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 oh sorry. Ha ha. Insert laughter now. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. You should have your plans in advance. I should have plotted out a random order for the names, yeah. Anyway, this is us. This is the cusp. And why did Here you need are. four dice? I didn't. It's just what she gave Mine me. Mine would have done. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm funny. You don't even know. Um, so, uh, first up, we have some email feedback from our, one of our two listeners, <laughs> three, three, Mike listens to us as well on his way to work, apparently. <laughs> and sure. And, yeah, okay. Um, this one's from Philip, however, one of our, uh, regular operatives. Uh, hello, Craig and the cusp. Why it's Craig and the cusp? Well, he sent it to me. Mine. Okay. Well, Craig's got a capital C and the cusp doesn't. No. <laughs> Loved the last show and was sorry not to have something for you. Been a bit busy. Been a bit busy with the up and coming birth of my next free thinking child. I'm sure that will backfire on me a bit later. I've also been very busy sending email to help undermine power balance. It has been my goal for nearly two years, off and on to stop the OCRF, the Ovarian Cancer Research Fund in the US, from selling the fucking things and profiting from them, and I am still at it. Sadly, my efforts in New Zealand have been restricted to bugging Tip Top for showing their award-winning, award-winning vanilla ice cream with vanilla pods on the packaging, but no vanilla in the ice cream. What? <laughs> oh, not good. Not, not good. exactly changing the world but by God, it's just no, not, not cricket. cricket. <laughs> no, good for you. If they're advertising it. vanilla pods... Especially their... such an important flavour as vanilla. Vanilla, right? exactly. My favourite. With a picture exactly. of a vanilla pod? Yeah, though? surely that's misleading. That's the big question the... there, of course, is um, there's no vanilla in the vanilla ice cream? Mm. Is it that they're using vanilla extract or something instead? Oh, Artif- okay. Artificial flavouring. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Have you got some? Good to know that your freezer's still working. Yeah, the freezer's fine. But there's no ice cream in it. Oh, uh, it doesn't have ice cream. Bizarre. Maybe you could find them on the web. No, that's, uh, that's fine. We'll take his word for it. It's not what we really want to talk about anyway. Right. Um, I love your idea of having links to pre-written letters to help in any cause you choose. Time is limited for most, and that would be a great step. These can be sent to friends who might care and give them exposure to you. Yeah. So we have our little brand in the corner. A logo. <laughs> mm. Courtesy of the customer. We must get on with that. We should. I've got a list actually of stuff we're supposed to be doing. But <laughs> you can imagine how that's working out. Thanks, guys, and please, please keep it up. We will. Uh, his second point. I think I will have a go at Huggies, as they seem, as they seem to think a Cairo is a good way to treat children with reflux. He's given us a link here to the Huggies website. 
where they... So, so to just to give some background on this, so if you actually go to that link, Nathan, that no longer mentions chiropractors, but when I went to it, when he first sent me the feedback, oh. he, um, there was some reference in there oh. for reflux um, that parents could take their children along to a chiropractor. So they have changed. And they see, it seems to have changed it, yes. So oh, well, good. good for you, Philip, and good for you, well, Huggies. Yes. Yeah. Big hug for Huggies. <laughs> um... Oh, this is the letter. So he's got a letter back from them, apparently. Dear Philip, thank you for contacting us recently with your inquiry regarding our Huggies Register Trademark website. Many mums on the Huggies forum have visited a chiropractor to gain some relief for their babies and shared this advice in the forum section of our website. It is suggested that it may offer relief to some babies, as with other alternative therapies, but may not work for others. Right. This comment is not intended as an endorsement for chiropractors, but it is an observation that many of the mums, blah, 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 have talked of how they visited a chiropractor as a solution. These comments are not necessarily the express opinion of Huggies. We aim to provide a safe and blah, 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 blah. You may like to visit Tumdi Tum, which offers more tips for dealing with reflux. Blah, blah, blah. Um... So, out, but they've yeah, taken it off. It seems that they're not mm. advertising that anymore, so that's fine. They obviously don't want to go on record as saying that chiropractic's bullshit. Fair enough, they're a big company with lots of customers, but... Um, and their mummy instinct counts. Yeah, totally. All right, so good job again, Philip. Well done. I think at this point, perhaps we should we could mention a couple of the feedback, the feedback things, the ratings things, reviews ask people to review us. Yeah, so I was just, I don't know why, but I just googled the CUSP, or the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast, and I actually found a couple of people who have reviewed us. Yeah. Um, so one's on iTunes, and then the other one's on the Skeptics on the Net. Do you have those there? Do you want to read those out for me? I do. Okay, so the one on iTunes is from Al McGuinn, gives us five stars. Says it's always nice to hear skeptics from other parts of the world. These people are from NZ and discuss topics with intelligence and a sense of humour. It's very refreshing. <laughs> Thank Yay. you, Alma. Thank you. And the other one? And the other one is just a little review by Eric Wise. Uh, it just says the completely unnecessary skeptical podcast is a skeptical podcast uh. <laughs> recorded in New Zealand. <laughs> With a distinctly unique kiwi flavour. I think he's possibly just copied and pasted that. Possibly from the a little bit copy and pasty. Well, there. have you copied and pasted this from the website, Nathan? Although they mainly focus on NZ skeptical issues and skeptical issues that impact kiwis, you'll enjoy the podcast no matter where you're from. And it just says who it's hosted by. Arch skeptics. Yeah. And just still got call on it. Anyway. Thank you for that. <laughs> right. And so what occurred to me is that we don't do a lot of pimping for ourselves for reviews and positive mm. feedback and so forth. So okay. if you listen to us on iTunes particularly, because the iTunes one said that there wasn't enough ratings yet to generate an average for the podcast. Yeah. For the podcast. So if you listen to us on iTunes, um, vote us up or give us an honest rating, <laughs> whatever. Um, maybe but no less than four stars. <laughs> no, no. Four's good. Yeah. Um, we, we do know where you all live, so we're going to come <laughs> around and beat you if you give us a bad rating. Yeah, so it'd, be, it'd be, just be good to get some ratings and have an actual, an actual rating on things like iTunes. Mm. 
do we know yet how we're doing in terms of listeners? I haven't done that recently. Um, the last one, I could find out, it's right here. Anyway, let's carry on. You reckon? <laughs> let's um, talk about some things rather than about the podcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good idea, Craig. So, yeah, if you uh, feel like giving us a rating, that'd be great. You could also, if you felt the need, uh, publicise us a bit. Post us on um, the Reddits and Digs and whatever the hell those are and share it with your sceptical friends. All around the world. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so that's all of the feedback we had, other than Mike just saying how awesome we are, <laughs> as usual. Good on you, Mike. Um, notice board. It says Skeptics Conference question mark, but I don't think that's... Well, is that I, relevant? Why not tell everybody about the NZ Skeptics Conference? Because this will be out... By yes. the end of well, primarily because I know nothing about it. Has uh, anyone has anyone organised anything yet? Well, it's, it's up happening in, the in Dunedin. It's happening in Dunedin, oh. University of Otago. I'm on the mailing list. I haven't heard of Friday, anything. Friday, so 31st far. of August to Sunday, 2nd of September. So oh. just consider this your first notice. And we should have the podcast out by then. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Maybe one or two. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I had no idea. Um, I thought I was on the mailing list, but maybe I'm not. Oh. They've been organising stuff without me. Yeah, so it is happening, and it's yep. in August. In Dunedin. In Dunedin. Dunedin. End of August in Dunedin. Should be fun. Indeed. And we've got 10.23. No doubt you want to talk about 10.23, which is... Well, so it normally happens next week in the week after. February, but yeah. it's not happening in February this year. It looks like it's potentially happening worldwide. It's happening in April. How's <coughs> oh, that right? But um, mm. there's... I've heard some rumours about sort of mid-April, but I haven't seen anything up on the 10.23... Um, website yet, and right. I contacted them and haven't heard a, haven't had a reply. So, okay. We, we well, there is stuff happening though. So yeah. next month's, next week's skeptics in the pub will actually be the first ten twenty three in the world. No, quite possibly not, because there might be something no. happening. Well, anyone on else Tuesday. that was doing it would um, would automatically assume that it was February because that's when it's been in the past. Yeah, and I thought the skeptics. I thought there was an email from Vicky, wasn't there, saying something was happening. Uh, I'm not sure what everyone else is doing, but we are doing our regular Skeptics in the Pub meeting. Yeah, but there's no point talking about that because it'll be done by the time... Well, maybe, maybe not. Except that we have regular Skeptics in the Pub meetings. We do. Second Tuesday every month at the Juice Bar in Parnell. Okay. Maybe. So if you get this before February the... 14th. 14th. Unlikely. Um, <laughs> shut up. You, you, you want to edit it? Do no. You want, do you want to take over the editing? Because no. you're quite welcome no. to it. Sorry, sorry, Nathan. He does a great job. <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> too little, too late. <coughs> so, okay. that's the 1023. Coming up, maybe April, maybe I now. Think it's April. Um, April. Stuff happening. And news. In the news Before recently. we move to the news, okay. I would just like to be vindicated oh, all right. with my comment last month about the fact that Google... Susie uh, said, doesn't Google tailor your search, search results box. based on what you've searched for in the past? And me and Craig said no, that we didn't think, think so, although Google certainly could if it wanted to. Yeah. And I found a link the other day to Google's new privacy policy. Uh, which is changing soon. Tomorrow. It was a summary of the new policies. And one of the items listed in there was that Google customizes your search results based on your prior search history. 
So there we go. Susie was right. So, apology? No, I don't think you can take that as evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I like that. But apparently there are some good. other search engines that don't do this. Because the whole point about the personalising your search thing is that now the web's not the same for everybody. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, specifically we the example we were talking about, yeah, we, we were saying if we search for this, we get this, yeah. but other people might not. Yeah, mm. but I can't, and Stephen told me what the alternatives were, but... Um, there must be a way of turning it off, which we should probably look at. Is that AltaVista search engine? Yeah. Um, Meta, web, web crawler, Meta crawler, hmm. Meta crawler, um, Yahoo's a search engine. It used Microsoft's to be. Bing. Bing, we're not going to mention that though, because it's stupid. <laughs> um... Mostly because it's Microsoft. <laughs> um, what else? You wouldn't be showing your biases and prejudices, prejudices there, would you, Nathan? No, no, not at all. Um, one of the things I tell my students is um, try Googling search engine and see what comes up. Because okay. I'm sure there's billions of them. There are billions of them. So that's that. Do you feel better now? Yep. You were right. Yay, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the news, uh, recently... Uh, for a change. Uh, in the UK, a Christian group has been banned from claiming that God can heal illnesses in its website and on, uh, on its website and in leaflets. So this came... Well, no, that's not strictly right, is it? Isn't it? Aren't they, aren't they being banned from promoting that they can cause God to heal people by praying for them? I think you'd probably Cause have to God look at to the specific... Well, get God to heal them by praying. Church drops God heals advert. Yeah. Yeah, you'd want to look at the specific ruling possibly, but essentially what, what they've been told to do is they've been told to stop advertising the healing services that they, inverted commas, provide. Um, yeah, so it says need, need healing. God can heal today. Do you suffer from a whole bunch of things? We'd love to pray for your healing right now. Right. Um, yes, so this, uh, I found about this straight from the uh, horse's mouth, as it were. Um, Hayley is a ghost.co.uk. Hayley Stevens, who is a UK blogger and paranormal investigator. Uh, she primarily uh, talks about ghosts, surprisingly. Um, but she was walking down the street in Bath, I think, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And she saw a uh, evangelical Christian group on the sidewalk, sidewalk pavement. What do they call it? Footpath. footpath. <laughs> Thank you. On the footpath, offering these healing services and praying and so forth. And she thought that that was not right, so she made a complaint um. to the ASA, who have said complained. Okay, so they've been told um, that they're not allowed to advertise. It could encourage false hope. And it's irresponsible. Indeed. Um, and so there's a lot of um, people getting quite angry about that, obviously. Haley's blogged about it on her blog, um, sort of putting her side of the story across and um, what she actually is opposed to and what she's not opposed to. So that's quite interesting readings. We'll give you a link to that. But it's also been picked up, the story. So it was in the Bath Chronicle. Uh, which is their newspaper, and it's also gone on Fox News and the Daily Mail and BBC News and Western Daily Press, whatever that is, 
the ASA upheld Hayley Stevens' complaint, but Bath's Healing in the Street team have said the decision was an attempt to ban the basic Christian belief that God can heal illnesses, which seems to be their, their major beef with it. Um, yeah, so that's what happened. Yeah, so they've stopped by the looks of it. No, they haven't. They haven't stopped? Um, no, they well, haven't. They're supposed to she's, she's been contacted by somebody from Loughborough saying that they had seen some people out on the streets of Loughborough and a woman gave one of the sky, sky a leaflet. He had seen the ASA ruling and mentioned it. She tried to take the leaflet back saying their solicitor had said it was okay as they had some different text at the bottom. They kept it, checked it, and it wasn't. Right. So he's going to be sending the leaflet to the ASA to say they're not. Oh, good on. Mm. No. So this oh, was one. the same group, obviously. Well, no, Loughborough's not in Bath, but obviously it's a. Similar it's group. more than just in Bath. Okay. Mm. Still, I wonder what how much power the ASA has to stop people from printing out a flyer and handing it out. I mean, mm. what can they do? Well, that's what I would do probably if I was going to get get around it, is I would say to people, we're not allowed to do it as a group anymore, but there's nothing stopping you as individuals from no, printing out your own right. flyers yeah. and writing up your own text and putting it, handing it out to people, mm. as long as you're not doing it officially. Anyway. Mm. On the letterhead. Yeah, yeah. so do, do it as just on your own bat, because the ASA can't shut individuals down, really. Don't give them ideas. No, I had the completely unnecessary sceptical podcast because not endorse. Tum to tum. Um, okay, so Chrissy, do you want to tell us about Bikram Yoga? Yes, reading in the Sunday paper today about Bikram Yoga or Bikram Chowdhury, the guy who founded it. Reading today that he was 236 or 238 years old, um, but then looking up on Google, he was born in 1946, the 10th of Feb, so there's something going on there. And I'm also so this guy is, is who, what? With the, well, what? he started Bikram, okay. Bikram Yoga, and you go in, I think it's 40 degrees, 38 to 40 degrees, and you've got to stay the whole 90 minutes, you're not allowed to leave, and you just do 26 asanas or poses, and it's got to be done in a set way, can't bear, and there are two, I think there are two breathing exercises as well, and in the article in the paper it says it will heal anything, but you have to be doing it 100% right. Right. If it won't it, heal anything. No, yet. if you do it 99% right, he says, quote, you're doing it 100% wrong, so that's his out. So yeah. if you're not doing it 100% right, you won't get healed. Let's see. And he claims to be 200 and... Well, in the, in the Sunday article, that's what it had today, 236 years old. He's, he owns 40 Rolls Voices um, and all sorts of things. He um, met the Beatles in 1959, apparently one year before they were formed. <laughs> right. So that's another This wasn't just a misprint in the paper. I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, I mean, two misprints, May maybe. Okay. Well, he must be some sort of time traveller to be yeah. 236 years old. Especially if he was, if he was born only born in 1946. Yeah. yeah, he healed Richard Nixon. That's how he got his green card to enter America. Jeez. But they didn't say how he healed him. Also on Google, looking at him, it says he can earn up to $10 million a day. No. I don't know how much he says. What? I don't know. That's what it says. But he, how much he makes he, or how much yeah. we can yeah, ten million dollars a day. Well, I don't day. know. He said. Jeez. Well, he's got all sorts. I mean, I'm just looking at something now, and 
in March, is it? He does book signings and a lecture, 3rd of March, for three hours. It's 35 euro in advance and 50 euro at the door. That's in Holland, but you go along to Dublin and it's 49 pound euro in advance and 60 pound at the door. Okay. So it's for three hours. Is this guy based in New Zealand? Or is no, the no, New no, Zealand no, no, he's American. He's, he, was, he was here um, not long ago. Okay. He did a lecture, three or four hundred people paid seventy-five dollars each. But oh, there is a New Zealand website. What do people, oh, yes, see, not what people see in these sort of people? There's classes, they, they teach it, there's one in... Surety, they have... Ponsonby um, Road. They're very confident, and they claim to have answers. That's, that's what gets people, because people like that. Hmm. But I love the fact that if you're not doing it 100% right, yeah. you cannot get cured. Yeah. Yeah. Standard arguments there. But yeah. it's will cure everything. Oh, well, there's so, nothing at all suspicious about that. I mean, I'm sure loads of things are universal panaceas. <laughs> we just haven't found them yet. But yeah. see. Well, we have. It's Bikram Yoga. We're not paying attention. <laughs> oh, oh, right. We'll go along <laughs> after here. Yes, okay. but, but I want I want a um, cure that you <laughs> wait, can... Wait, 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 wait. That... This is great. Okay. So, um, please wear clothing that fits close to the skin and dress as lightly as possible. Avoid loose-fitting clothes. We need to see your knees. Right, <laughs> knees. Ooh, yes, knee fetish. Absolutely. Hmm. Sure. We need to see your knees. It's, yes. it's not in quotes, is it? Knees? No. Scare <laughs> quotes. Yeah, scare quotes. <laughs> you should come to class on an empty stomach. Try not to have food for two hours before the class. Okay, so moving on to the next thing. And the next thing is... What's taking them so long, Craig? Craig? What is taking them so long? Please tell us. Well, so this mathematician has done a study figuring out how long it would take another alien civilization from um, another star within our Milky Way galaxy to get to us. And the fact that they aren't here is, um, is a bit of a puzzle. How is this, this is different to the Drake equation. Well, the Drake equation isn't mentioned in this in this particular article, but he's assuming that there are alien civilizations elsewhere in our galaxy that that have the capacity to um, build starships and come and visit us, and they haven't arrived. So, why haven't they arrived? But hang on, I bet you some people disagree. They've been taken up and experimented on. Well. <coughs> Yeah, <laughs> not so sure about whether there's any evidence for that. But uh, to me, I mean, it, he's obviously making a ton of assumptions about um, yeah. about, about things, about initially the, the presence of, of aliens and whether they actually want to come and visit us anyway. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a long way from star to star. and it would, uh, That would be one of the big arguments, of course, is that we're um, anthropomorphizing them a little bit by assuming that they would want to come and visit exactly. us. Exactly. Mm. Yes. It's entirely possible an alien civilization could arise and have absolutely zero curiosity about the rest of the universe. Yes, indeed. Um, and simply be living on their own little planet. Hmm. Anyway, he, he says that any ancient civilization is probably not biological. They don't need a place like Earth. They don't need to come here and steal our water. There's plenty of it out in the, in, the, in the outer solar system where the gravity is not so great and they can just take all they want. That was a um, quite of a major um, issue with the old V series, wasn't it? They came to steal our water. Right. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um... Whatever the reason we're being ignored, 
There is no chance that E.T., if he exists, does not know we are here, he has said, pointing to our telescopes, such as NASA's Kepler Observatory, which can detect planets around other stars. If, human being, if humans living on a planet that is roughly 5 billion years old have the technologies like Kepler, an alien civilization with another 10 million years of experience under its belt would have advanced much further, he maintains. I'm sure they'd be able to detect this planet had life on it just the sea of seas in our atmosphere would give us away mm. or they've blown themselves up in indeed and and yes so this is yeah. where the drake equation comes in which calculates the number of of other civilizations um likely number likely number yes uh, Based and, on and even though variables. and even though there are ton, possibly tons of civilizations just in our galaxy um, they are so sparse that uh, it would take them forever to get here anyway. And why would they want to come and visit us? Why don't they send because us a signal? Because we're good. We're nice people. That's why. Well, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it seems oh, unlikely. Positivity. But it's I think this guy's made a lot of assumptions. Mm, yeah, I think bit. so too. In fact, what he's, actually ask, uh, what he's actually arguing is sort of the opposite of what you would normally say if you were talking to believers is um, in the sense that it's actually com- ridiculously unlikely that aliens are visiting us because of this vast distances involved hmm. and he's actually arguing the opposite that they really should be here by now which is yeah interesting mm. I don't know hmm. anyway okay so guy makes loads of assumptions gets himself in the newspaper <laughs> that's that how you news, do it apparently yeah <laughs> Uh, next item vampire found, found in, in amber, amber. <laughs> 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 I see what you did there <laughs> this is the finding that a, a 20 million year old piece of amber um, has a bat fly in it dinosaur blood dinosaur blood and a bat fly as I'm afraid as the name suggests oh Preys on bats. Damn it! So not it's dinosaurs, not got, um, Nathan. And it and it is a vampire. Um, it does feed on blood. Um, so this thing has been found that fed on bat blood twenty million years ago. So Apparently, what they can do is they can genetically reproduce <laughs> bats from the Jurassic period. Well, I think we're okay. Really. Um, actually, no, maybe not. Maybe it'd make a good are, theme park. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Um, Cheaper, too. <laughs> apparently, it says that it, it has malaria inside it. So, mm. I need so to go a really, really, really old form of malaria. Malaria. Yeah. That would be useful, wouldn't it, for something? Determining how it's evolved or yeah, how something so, yeah. nowadays. Yeah. At least interesting, anyway. Mm. Mm. But it says it's further evidence that malaria has been prevalent in the New World for a long time. Right. The genus of bat fly discovered in this research is now extinct. Goodness. Um, so we can bring pretty, them back. <laughs> sound pretty hideous, though. They were basically um, <coughs> flat-sided like a flea that allowed them to crawl in the uh. in the fur, and they only ever left their bat to to mate, um, which is they how this their, one possibly they got was? stuck. The in they left their bat, so they live on bats. They live on bats, and they jump off to have jump a, off to oh to, to mate. mate. Got it. Got this it. Got is it. How this one probably got stuck in amber. Uh-huh. Yuck. Mm. Anyway, awesome. there you go. And the next ah. item is a new form of male contraception. Yeah. Which yeah. I haven't read, but Susie, you've had a look at this one. Yeah, so this this story goes back a long way. So apparently there's a guy who 
30 uh, odd years ago was um, testing whether you could use ultrasound as a possible contraceptive um, by, I'm going to say zapping, although ultrasound doesn't zap, <laughs> but I like the sound of that, zapping it testicles. Um, but apparently the either he wasn't taken seriously or whatever. But some there's now someone else who's been giving it a try, just using the common um, ultrasound equipment that we have nowadays that's used for all sorts of things. And uh, there's a couple of papers. So there's one very recently, um, therapeutic ultrasound as a potential male contraceptive, and then it goes on and on and on. It's a very, very long title. How long does um, it last, Susie? How long? Well, so, so this is a bit of a... Um, it is so rats they've study on rats and they gave them um 15 minutes two 15 minute treatments of ultrasound um while coupling the testicles in saline at 37 degrees sounds good so far so basically <laughs> they'd have they had to anesthetize the rats put their testes in 37 degrees saline and then give them two zaps of um, ultrasound right. um, separated by two days and then found that they decreased the sperm count um, to by a considerable amount um, and then it was how long and did they is, stay? Well the interesting thing about this to me is that the frequency they're using is one in three megahertz which is to, in my understanding of ultrasound is that it's up in the sort of um, frequency range that the dogs can hear in like up around about 40 kilohertz but this is it's quite high this is one right. in three million cycles per second which is probably why they actually have to put them in um, a saline solution because the probably air doesn't conduct right. that frequency very very well right. okay um, I'm just trying to find here where it says what they found so they had a thousandfold lower sperm motile sperm count but how long did it last how long did it last that yeah. doesn't, doesn't say it's kind of the important it? question is it something you have to go in and do every week or is it just yeah, work for a couple of well it said they were they were putting 2.2 watts per square centimeter power for 15 minutes oh hang on i found something so if that's not a turn up i don't know what is <laughs> it says the uc davis team found that three 30 minute sessions could prevent fertility from returning in monkeys for approximately six weeks That's and not also really long, prove that the treatments could if could effectively be reversed what's wrong with that condom anyway <laughs> well <Yeah. Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly. come on nathan <laughs> well and it, you know actually i mean this is all well and good but you know condoms stop sexually transmitted diseases too which yes. these mm. kind of things don't this so. doesn't no hmm. not even in monkeys there you go. So it might be that everybody starts zapping their bits. Well, you could get a zapping cat for it, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. exactly. Plug it in at night as you go to sleep. Yeah. I love the photo of the... Don't you love that photo? What, of the... Guy and the girl? Guy and the girl, yeah, yeah getting it on. <laughs> yeah. What well, they don't been see his, his thing, his nuts a little, a little sack yeah. of saline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you and know, then it would be, I mean, it would be, um, you know, it would be cheap. Yeah. Non-invasive. Non-invasive, yeah. It's just a case of got to go to your doctor for it. Anyway. Every six weeks for 30 minutes. Yeah. Unless they can improve the technology and make mm. it last longer, which mm. would be 
But then if you if it lasts longer, then the reverse You're likely route, to forget to go back. Or, and the reverse would take longer, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So the next item is not... to go back. <laughs> Speaking of penises. is <laughs> not a form of contraception, although it sounds like it might be. <laughs> is spiders with detachable penises. Mm. So this is Susie really wants to talk about I this. I do. Right? I'm so excited about this. Spiders dodge cannibalism through remote copulation. <laughs> so what this means is... That, so there's this fantastic picture. There's a whole load of spiders where the female spider is massive yeah. and the male <laughs> spider is not. And he runs the risk of being eaten when he tries to mate. And it's, and it's actually... This is usually pretty much what happens. Um, so there's this um, this particular orb-web spider, whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Um, he <laughs> has um, detachable penis, basically. Um, what I found amazing is they're on the sides of their heads. Oh, okay. Yeah, not at all where I would have thought you'd put it. But anyway, and so... Oh, so um, they're dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Craig. <laughs> and so what happens when he um, comes, he, so he all he has to do is he has to get close enough Ooh. to jab her, and so then his, his um, it's called a palp, uh, uh, detaches, stays inside her, and then he tries to scarp her. So apparently he has two of these structures. But um, does he feel it still? <laughs> well, we'd have to ask them, wouldn't we? So it's not much it good fun for, you? for him. Uh, but yeah. he doesn't get killed. So he can't regrow his genitals, and so he so does he render himself sterile. Oh, he loses sterile, it. But yeah, so presumably he's got two. Oh, we so can't if I invented back. a strap on. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, so it mostly snaps off completely. So this is quite clever, because it means that in when you've got these aggressive females... You know, he can do the business and run, but apparently it ta- the time, amount of time it takes for the sperm to actually get pumped into her is longer than, you know, she would notice that he right. was there and she would try to eat him. So, uh. so why, you'd, why you'd go for a girl like that, I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> She's not um, very pretty. No. She's saying they don't have a lot of choice. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um, so, yeah, so he can, he can jab her and go, but then because it stays... Plugged into her, yeah. um, it sort of stops other males from 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 uh, trying. Yeah. So. So this picture is it the female? The, well, the, the, you probably got, oh, um, have you got the, the nature? I'm on Gizmodo. So there's a picture in Nature which has one. got the female, and you can see the little male. You can see his genitals stuck, but he unfortunately didn't get away, and she ate him anyway. Right. That's pretty cool. It is. It is awesome. Jeez. But, no, so I think this is pretty cool, but I don't think this is as cool as the anglerfish. All right. <laughs> Tell us about the anglerfish. Okay. So obviously I'm a big fan of the anglerfish because they glow in the dark. Well, but one of them does. In, well, quite a few of them do actually. Um, but not only that. So the, they live really, well, lots of species live really deep down in the ocean where it's very, very dark and there's, you're, you're quite unlikely to come across a mate. So the males have got, the males are are really really tiny um, compared to the females and they have a really extraordinary sense of smell so they can smell out a female and then what they do is they bite her um, then produce an enzyme that fuses the male to the female so the male then, actually produces the enzyme I th- yeah I yeah, think so okay. in, his, in his mouth so to speak um, he fuses with her and then he atrophies until the, all that's left of him 
is a pair of gonads, parasitic pair of gonads attached to the female that just nice. then, and apparently she can have more than one pair of gonads. Hmm. So more than one male can do that. But anyway, so and so then she then, can self fertilize. Yeah. With the gonads. Yeah, wow. which I think is quite cool. It is awesome. But yeah, so it's sort of the opposite. So he doesn't have detachable gonads in that state. He he just sacrifices himself for the gonads. And the absolute best explanation of the anglerfish ever is on the oatmeal.com. I mean, I'm reading it. It's so funny. Um, it's so, so funny. We'll put a link up to that. Yeah, it's an interesting presentation of the science. <laughs> it's basically a <laughs> big good. cartoon on it. Oh, how yeah. a male anglerfish yeah. gets completely screwed. Yeah. It's pretty cool, That's isn't the it? One. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that. So, moving from spider penises to something a little less interesting, but still... Uh, Interesting. It's all to do with spiders. <laughs> spiders and it's interesting and yay. Spider silk. <laughs> stronger than Kevlar. Mm. There's a little video of um, spider silk stopping a bullet. Bulletproof skin stops a speeding gunshot. Skin. So they're actually fusing... Yeah. No, well... Uh, yeah, okay. It looks like they've just made a... Um, Isn't it kind of like a mesh? They just call it a futuristic tissue. Design, which reinforces which, human skin cells with spider silk. Yeah. I don't quite know how So they, they must be that. growing it or something, yeah? Anyway, what it does say is that the spider silk weave is four times stronger than Kevlar, yeah. the material used in bulletproof vests. Is that on its own it or the new thing? It bioengineered skin cushions. Yeah. God, but the bioengineered skin cushions a bullet fired at half speed. So mm -hmm. the skin that they've produced there is stopping a, a half load bullet being fired and that's some sort of a nine mil or something Chrissy mm, can you identify yep, that I'd say yeah. nine mil <laughs> oh, so I've just gone and had a quick look at the um, Utah State University um, synthetic biomanufacturing so yeah. synth synthetic silk um, <laughs> da, 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 da. right so they say that um, there's different kinds of silk produced by orb, orb web weaving spiders um, and they they need to make lots of this silk to do stuff. So what do they use? So this is the lab uses to make synthetic spider silk. Transgenic goats, E. coli bacteria, mm. alfalfa, and silkworms. Yeah. The goats are actually producing the spider silk, is that right? I have no idea. Well, it just I'm pretty sure that's what it said somewhere. Transgenic goats. Yeah, they've 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 engineered the goats the with the spinnerets, and the goats wow. are producing the silk. What? How, hmm. how would you do that? I'm uh, sure I saw stop this on me if TV. I'm wrong, but that's what I remember reading in the article. I'm sure I've seen this on TV. Yeah. So on a um, goats, yeah. Well, yeah, it might have been yes, but there was a program called Making Stuff Stronger, hmm. um, and yeah, it had something very similar to this on it. Oh, yep. So you can read up about that, and if we're wrong about the goats. No, no, no. Then I've just found Gen another article about goats. goats. Transgenic <laughs> goats. Extreme crossbreeding. Oh, silkworms <laughs> cool. equipped to produce spider silk. So maybe the goats aren't. Maybe it's the, the silkworms, which would make more sense. Anyway. Um, we need to well, move on because we're running out of time. Yes. So... <coughs> Ten-year-old discovers a new molecule. So a ten-year-old girl in America somewhere... For Clara Lazen, 10, a classroom assignment turned into a scientific finding. The fifth grader's curiosity led to a, mu a new molecule and her first mention in a scientific journal. Okay, so the teacher 
gave his class one of these molecule building block kits toy thingies and um, one of his students randomly arranged a unique combination of oxygen, nitrogen and carbon atoms. The result was a molecule that the teacher had never seen before. So I'm not quite sure how this story works, but he took a picture of the molecule because he couldn't identify it, high school science teacher, um, and he sent it to his mate, uh, a chemistry professor who was a computational chemist, and he, could, he couldn't identify it immediately. So he's plugged it into Chemical Abstracts, which is an online database, and he found a molecule with the same formula but a different arrangement of atoms, which means this is efficiently, officially a unique molecule. And possibly the best um, part of the whole story, of course, is that it's an explosive. Um, uh, if a synthetic chemist succeeded at creating the molecule, dubbed tetranitrotoxicarbon, well, for short, for, for short, <laughs> it could store energy, create a large explosion, or do something in between. TNTC. Mm. So uh, the chemist friend is going to submit a paper, or has submitted a paper, and the student and the teacher are both listed as co-authors. Um, hmm. Craig, you seem sceptical. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me my ignorance of chemistry, which extends as far as seventh form. But we never forgive ignorance. Carry on. <laughs> what's I mean? What, what's to stop you from just plugging any old molecules together? So this student came up with this essentially at random. Yeah. And um, it's oh, this is a molecule we've never seen before. Well, I'm sure I could produce many molecules that have never been seen before. Yeah, but, but would they, they necessarily relevant? be stable and actually valid molecules? Mm. Can you not just plug any yeah, no. bonds no, together no. with one of these kits? No. Because oh. in order for it to be a valid molecule, the atoms have to have, to have the right bonds between them. Sure, yes. And the structure but the, 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 the kits actually prevent you from plugging incompatible atoms together? I wouldn't think so. The point being, you have to have two bonds between this atom and this atom, and one between this atom and this atom. And she built something that was functionally correct. Hmm. Um, the only thing I'm sceptical about it is the teacher looked at that and said, oh, I've never seen that molecule before, and then sent a mm. picture of it to his mate at a university. I mean, mm. surely, as you've alluded to, the students come up with all sorts of strange and different new molecules and shapes in class. Yeah. Um, yeah but that's what happened, apparently. So there you go. Apparently, um, she's stumbled upon this new arrangement, and uh, it's an explosive. So and as you were pointing out before, Craig, they've deliberately chopped off the photo so that you can't see what the last <laughs> atom is, just to stop us from making it ourselves. Storing Although there can't be energy. that many options. It's, e it's either a, it's either a, um, an oxygen, a nitrogen, or a carbon atom. Right. So we just build that molecule three times, and one of them will be the explosive. <laughs> okay, so uh, we'll yeah. get right on that. We'll, work okay, on we'll that do that over tonight, the okay? Next week, yeah. Yeah. We'll let you know how we get on. Um, yeah, so that was interesting. Um, so that kind of makes we would try to decide whether this counts or not. She's She may be the youngest person ever 
published in a journal now at the no. age of 10. Is she? No, I don't think so. Well, um, that's what I was talking about before. Um, Emily, Rosa, who I thought was maybe 8, but Craig said 11, and that actually sounded better. Well, I could so be wrong. Let's look her up. <laughs> at age 9, she conceived and executed a scientific study of therapeutic touch. Okay. She was born... Oh, no, you're right. So she, she was, was born in 1987. She was published in 1998, so she was 11 when she published. Right. But I've just got another one here about an 8-year-old publishes a bee study. Oh, okay. Do you we talked about this? Yes. The bee study. Yes, we did. Mm. Oh, okay, children yes. published bee study in Royal Society Journal. So that's the youngest, eight. Eight. Okay. Yeah, good. Right. So there's Philip, your benchmark, If you're children. listening, <laughs> get your new free-thinking child on to publishing a paper. Before the age Before of eight. Before the age of eight. Yeah. And then we'll talk about it on the yes. podcast. The youngest <laughs> person ever. If we're all still here. If we're all, yeah. <laughs> okay, so moving quickly along, because I think we're running out of time a little bit. Um, New Zealand, Paul Callahan and vitamin C. Is this the chappy that tried it himself and found that it didn't work? The chappy. The celebrated <laughs> physicist, Sir Paul Callahan. Excuse me. <laughs> He's been very, very ill with yeah. cancer. Is very, very ill with cancer. And so he... Um, no laughing matter. He had quite a lot of sceptics, a little bit up in arms. Or, dis- no, not up in arms. Disappointed because he um, was going to try high-dose vitamin C, IV vitamin C, to treat his cancer. He is at the sort of... He is at the end of... His journey, there, you know, it was a kind of there are there is nothing really else we can try, so try this. So he, oh no, he said he took a six month break from chemotherapy, basically to try this. He's got terminal colon cancer, and um, he, um, but he did it in quite an interesting way. So he took the high dose vitamin C, but at the same time decided he wanted to track its effectiveness using some blood tests for um, protein that would indicate sort of his level of cancer. And so earlier this month, earlier this month, earlier last month, February, he, God, blah, 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 January, January, he, he came out and said what the, uh, what the result was of the six months of taking this stuff. And he says... I have learned enough to say that there is absolutely no evidence of any beneficial effect of high-dose intravenous vitamin C in my case. Right. So it didn't work for him. And one of the difficult things is that he is being sort of put up there as a, ah, well, Sir Paul Callahan's taking high-dose vitamin C kind of thing. He's become a bit of a poster boy for them. And um, he's, you know... He's sort of seen as endorsing it, and so he wanted to come out and say, it has not worked for me, and... Um, mm. Evidence and is not good. Evidence is not good, no. Which we kind of... No, but it says here, there are an estimated 30 clinics nationwide that give 10,000 injections of vitamin C a year. 30? Yeah. It seems like the, a lot. Victoria University professor Sean Holt a natural remedies researcher said he was not surprised the treatment had not worked, though I really wish it had. Yeah. What's Margot White? Can we skip it? Oh, this is just her article in The Listener on detox um, claims. So we talked last last um, month about cyblogger Michael Edmonds, who's been yes. putting in some advertising standards authority um, 
claims against detox treatments and so Margot's done a really nice column on him in the listener which will become free online in a couple of weeks time so we'll put a um, thing to it um, which really it's really good she uh, she also talks about the detox regime I talked about um, with Deborah Kelland with the soapstones and things so it was just a really nice article thank right, you Margot we'll put a link up on that so you can read it and, and oh and this next one doesn't sound very interesting oh, no, 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 leave, what? Let's really? leave it let's leave oh, it shall we alright then go on do this, this story about this <laughs> Thank you. flea collars or something. Scientist hot under the collar over flea remedy. So um, we talked a while ago about the Portect um, homeopathic... Quantum homeopathic, Quantum homeopathic Mm. biophotonic frequency zapping um, pendants for um, getting rid of fleas. Yes. Uh, And I had blogged about it, we talked about it. Anyway, I was contacted a few weeks ago by a journalist who wanted to write about this product for the Sunday Star Times, and he did a fantastic article, so Charles Anderson, um, did a fantastic article about them, and uh, I just, <laughs> well, it was really funny, I'd sort of forgotten about it, and then I got an email from someone saying, great quote, and I was like, oh God, what did I say? <laughs> anyway, so in bold, um, it says, this raised every red flag of being bollocks. When you read it, it's just a load of nonsense, Dr. Susie Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the reason to, there's a couple of things to say about it. So one was that I was talking about the absolute nonsense that they wrote on their website about um, how it worked. And it was really just like sort of Google Translate gone wrong. And we noticed when we looked back to the website that they'd actually taken all of that away and put, we continue to work on the most optimal explanation and welcome your feedback. And the date is the date of my blog post. What does oh, an wow. optimal explanation uh, mean? The one that produces the most sales? Yeah. yeah. Or the one that doesn't well, um, so cause people sales, like Susie so to blog the, about um, it? In the, in the article in the Sunday Star Times, um, he obviously spoke to her and she has sold fi- about 500 units and has had no serious complaints. Then, and I actually got quite a few people emailing me after the article going, well, you know, it's working for my pet, blah, 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 blah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, in fact, there was a there was an article, uh, sorry, a letter to the editor the next week going, you know, that Susie Wilde, she should go and, and come up with a flea treatment that does work. Duh, duh, duh. Anyway, um, I thought that was something that I was going to do nice. research on. But what <laughs> is really interesting is that um, she says, this woman... Um, that there are plans to launch a similar products for humans next year. What, flea collars? I don't know. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Awesome. So, thanks, Charles. Mm. Well done. Hilarious. H- how do these people know that the treatment is working? I mean, presumably lack of fleas, but surely but the, the, the dog was, has the, to the be... The claim went even further than fleas. It was the, you know... Yeah, increased immunity and I mean it was just right. it was a, list a blanket of sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Just sort of yep. one of the reasons why I got cross about it. Anyway, you've got about three minutes to rant about the Ponsonby News, Susie. Okay. Um I am not gonna rant about the Ponsonby News other than to say I'm disappointed, disappointed. that they didn't publish my letter on vitamin C. Oh. Um uh, and my advertising centre authority complaint has not been upheld against um Mr Edgett. Um, but I'm not allowed Just to talk about it. Just remind us what was that? Oh, you're not allowed to talk about I'm it. Not allowed, well, yeah, I'm not allowed to talk about it um, 
until some time, and right. they will tell. And they haven't told me yet why it wasn't upheld. So they haven't told me what the evidence that he put forward. I see. Um, against. But what was your specific complaint? Just that he was calling himself doctor and misleading people into believing okay. that he was medically qualified. Anyway. They haven't. Um, and they didn't wow. Yeah, they haven't upheld it. Um, so I'm waiting to hear what will, what they um, what. Uh, it would be interesting to see what the precedent is that they've set. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because if he can get away with it... Yes, precisely. Mm. All right, um, well, we won't anyway, talk about yes. that. But we can't say too much, otherwise there'll be a knock at the door. <laughs> <laughs> the men in the... <laughs> oh, fuck! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Chrissy, don't do that. <laughs> um, but what I did want to do instead, if I can have two minutes... All right, two minutes. Um, ...is a, a, a new segment on old wives' tales. Okay. And um, so I'm looking for people to... to Give us some old wives' tales that they want debunking, or is it is this a is this a myth or is this okay. real? So, so we do a little Mythbusters thing with, yeah. with old, yeah, wives. old wives' tales. Oh. Be good. Um, but the one, given that we've been talking a lot about testicles and penises today, and I'm obviously <laughs> old wives talk about <laughs> those the most qualified lot. person to yeah. <laughs> what? I thought the old wives' tale we would talk about today is does masturbation cause blindness? It's not much of an old wives' tale. <laughs> no one actually believes that. Well, it's oh. kind of interesting because. Um, obviously, it's not true to a degree. Um, and it was probably. Oh, wait, I'll get there. I'll get there. Nathan's that's getting really worried now. Good. I've been not doing tonight. And it was obviously spread, or probably spread for religious reasons. Right. But apparently, sperm contains a lot of zinc, uh-huh. and a serious zinc deficiency can cause a decline in vision. I see. So, they, although they do say it's, pro, it's more or less impossible to cause a zinc deficiency through masturbating, you probably don't have enough. What if you do it like a really, really, really lot? But um, there were lots of other de- um, symptoms of zinc de- deficiency, so I think you'd know. So you've ah. got hair loss, dandruff, skin lesions, diarrhea, uh, altered perception, impotence, loss of sex drive. So presumably, so if you're getting self yes, oh, yeah. exactly. exactly. <laughs> but there you go. So awesome. an element of possible, a seed of possible yeah. truth, but you probably don't have it in you to get a zinc deficiency from masturbation. Oh, fuel. So, Big relief there. Anyway, right. no, so tales. Send us some old wives' tales, and we'll, and if they're sufficiently interesting, we'll do them. Okay, as, an al- as an alternative to me ranting about John Appleton because he's starting to depress me. <laughs> okay, and so now we're going to have our interview with Dr. Professor Professor Sean, Sean Holt. Holt. Welcome to the cusp, Sean Holt. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for asking me on. Can you uh, start just by telling us a little bit about who you are and, um, and what you've been up to? Yeah, uh, look, I, uh, I'm a UK-trained uh, pharmacist and then a doctor. Came here in 1998, worked in clinical trials for around six years, and then I've, d- I've done a variety of things, really. Uh, and then the last sort of four or five years, I've sort of delved into the sceptical world, being I was asked to write a newsletter on complementary therapies. And uh, I remember saying at the time that I'd rather write a regular column on handbags for Cosmopolitan magazine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm not... I'm not that way inclined. I was really um, not very keen at all. Uh, but you know, when you look into the 
research on some of the complementary therapies. There, there is some you know, reasonable research hidden in there. But I think the vast majority is absolute nonsense. And I'd be with sort of Edouard, Ed, you know, 5% of these therapies maybe have some sort of basis in science and research, and 95% would be probably nonsense or, or ridiculous. So let's start with your most recent. Um, tell us about your, your latest argument in the Bay of Plenty Times. Medical profession disputes quack potions. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I get approached uh, quite often now um, by the media to talk about um, natural therapies, and I quite enjoy the media side of things, I must admit. Uh, I did a regular stint on Breakfast TV, mostly with, with Paul Henry and Pippa Wetzel when they were the team, and uh, that was pretty good fun. Uh, got into a bit of trouble with a couple of the things I was talking about uh, in terms of complaints, and I don't like to pull any punches, say it as it is, a bit of plain speaking. And um, I haven't seen the full article, actually. It, there was a, a little bit, quite a major in-depth article further on in the paper, in the hard copy, so I'll get a copy of that tomorrow. Right. Um, I must say, I found it a little bit disappointing because, um, they, you know, so you, you were great and, um, you know, you're... Uh, definitely, they mentioned the fact that you know it's not scientifically proven; it's completely undiluted. Um, that you believe that much of the success is based on the placebo effect and false information, which seems fine. A couple of nice quotes, and then they ended with a couple of homeopaths, I guess, to provide some balance. And so we had um, Clive Stewart saying that their homeopathic remedies generate an electromagnetic charge when they're shaken and diluted. And the charge is amplified at each step of the dilution process. Um, And the placebo effect couldn't possibly be true because it works on children and animals. And basically we're all being closed mind. And then they finished with a GP who's also a homeopath who said that it works at a level technology can't yet explain. And when you've been a GP for 25 years, you get a sense of when something works and when something doesn't. So it was kind of disappointing that it finished on that. Those those old chestnuts of, ah, you don't know what you're talking about kind of thing, when you've pretty much disputed that at the very beginning of the article. Look, hey, there's all sorts of issues there. I mean... Um... First of all, yeah, the media always like to provide a balance. That's the way they talk. They'll always have an opposing view, so that's fine. And you don't get the right of reply, uh, which I would love to have had. Uh, in terms of the arguments from the homeopath and the GP, um, I mean, what you'd say to them if you were speaking to them, you'd say, well, how do you know? Well, how do you know? I mean, if, can you measure it? How, how do you know it's there? And, um, and, and quite soon you can, you can show that they don't actually know it's there and they're making stuff up. Uh, the arguments about it's placebo, you get that all, all the time, you know, hugely important, hugely powerful, but that's not the only thing going on. Uh, and so you get the argument that it's a um, placebo effect, it works in animals and children, which of course it doesn't, but regardless, it's not just placebo effect going on. Uh, the classic example being the natural history of a condition, and uh, everyone forgets about that. So for most conditions that people are going to seek uh, a homeopath for, you're probably going to get better anyway on your own over time and take a product you just assume that the product has helped you that's that's the way we work we look for these associations and in terms of the gp i mean that, that's hugely disappointed and i had a letter in the new zealand medical journal for doctors uh, not to refer uh, to homeopaths or to prescribe homeopathic products i mean it's just totally inconsistent with um, with evidence-based medicine uh, and you know if you look in a the New Zealand Medical Journal, around 4% of New Zealand GPs uh, will prescribe homeopathic treatments, and around 12% will actually re- refer patients to a homeopath. 
and we have 3,000 GPs in this country. So, I mean, I think those those figures are pretty disturbing. Do you think that GPs are actually aware of what homeopathy actually is and that it is just water? No, a lot of them aren't, and I've, I've done some surveys on this. So uh, certainly just about every single uh, non-medical survey I did found 93% of people don't know what it is. And you can sort of understand that, you know, they're not trained in science. Uh, the most common confusion being that it's like naturopathy and it's just dilute uh, potions of herbs. That's what most people think. You medical professionals actually know what it is as well. Uh, virtually none of them would know the difference between naturopathy and, uh, and homeopathy. Um, naturopathy, naturopathy being almost equally ineffective, but at least they do use active ingredients. In terms of preparing for an interview, yeah. I mean, what it seems to me is there's, we know what the stock standard answers are from the homeopaths. Is there a way that you can just go into a or uh, talk to a reporter and say, look, they're going to say this and this and this and this and this, and here's why those arguments are wrong. And sort of then when they go to the homeopaths, you've already answered all of the things that they're going to say? Or is that just not possible in, in that sort of format? Yeah, it's sort of possible. And, you know, it is the same old arguments keep coming up. I mean, one thing I'm up against, and I'm sure you are the whole time, is, you know, you talk about research and studies, uh, and then the, the, the homeopath are studies. And, uh, and for a layperson, then, how do they know? They don't know that the um, the quality of the, uh, of the homeopathic studies are just not up there and, 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 and virtually meaningless or probably misleading. Just a question of credibility. Um, uh, but yeah, you do try and um, uh, counteract the, the, the inevitable um, responses you know you're going to get. And I'm trying to use some novel ways of describing it. So I pointed out that there were more molecules of cyanide in the coffee that I was drinking than there are uh, molecules of active ingredients in a homeopathic product. So I'm hoping she put that in the main article as a way of, you know, illustrating just how, how crazy it is. Right. Uh, so somebody um, has actually posted on the uh, comments bit on the online version of this article. So one of your comments was, or one of your quotes was, either homeopathy works or what we know about chemistry, physics, medicine, pharmacology, and many other sciences is wrong. And writer man has yeah. answered... Um, the answer to Sean Holt's dilemma is both. Homeopathy does work, and much of so-called accepted science is a crock. <laughs> it's like, what do you do with people like this? And then he goes on to give um, a, uh, an anecdote where he says it's impossible for a placebo effect to have occurred. Oh, God. It's not quite as simple as this. <laughs> you can drive yourself insane. And, you know, I know some, some of my colleagues and they'll enter into all these debates and, you know, spend many hours, but you, you're just never, ever going to win. You're never, ever going uh, to say at the end of it, actually, I think you're right. Uh, you, you've got reason on your side. I'm going to go and change my career. That's never going to happen. They could have come up with every excuse under the sun. Um, so, yeah, personally, I don't get involved in these online forums. So you're trying to get the people who are sitting on the fence, really... And the ones who don't actually know what it is, and the fact that it yeah, doesn't have right. an, yeah, any active ingredients. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me, did you? Um, so there's this recent uh, UMR research survey on the beliefs of New Zealand. So they released the one about um, belief in the supernatural a while ago, and that's now on the web. And then a couple of the articles have come out because of the the latest instalment, which is about a belief in alternative remedies. Um, did you actually see the results of that survey? Because they're not up on the web yet, on their website. Did the reporters actually let you see them? The, the, sorry, is this, the, this is the results of the survey, the UNR survey? 
Yeah, yeah, no, I just had, uh, again, this is the Sunday start times last week where the main finding was, um, I think, 53% thought that homeo homeopathy had a basis in science. Uh, but of course, we didn't see what the question was. Um, but again, that wouldn't surprise me because, you know, how do people know? I mean, how many of those people serve the research and have the necessary um, background to be able to understand it? I mean, I'd say probably almost zero of them. So again, it's pretty meaningless, of course. You run a website, um, Natural Health Products That Work. What's the reaction to that site from um, your traditional alternative medicine practitioners are they in support of that site yeah look they um they, they think of me as you know i mean i'm public enemy number one uh, and i'm very happy debating them uh, but i've also written three books about uh, positive studies in natural health and complementary therapies um you know all, all based on research all referenced etc and and so they don't know how to define me they just listen particularly because i've done a lot of pharmaceutical trials but then when i point out that i give a lot of talks about some of the positive things that complementary therapies can do that sort of floors them um Big, yeah, and also it just—I mean—that's another thing I was thinking about. Right? On the, on a lot of skeptics just dismiss all alternative and complementary therapies, and I think that's pretty dangerous. You can sort of understand why, uh, because the vast majority is absolute garbage and even harmful. But there are some hidden gems in there. One of my favourite um, Australasian Journal of Psychiatry, a large study comparing Prozac to fish oil for severe depression. And lo and behold, the, the, the fish oil was slightly better. And um, you know, I don't think we should dis dismiss them all out of hand. Um, skepticism is good, but we should also look out for the positive ones there, uh, of which there are some. So you mentioned fish oil as opposed to Prozac. What, what other natural remedies work? For depression, for example, there are some uh, complementary therapies that do work, uh, probably around 2025 that I've seen, ranging from uh, fish oil and St. John's wort and B vitamins that we know about to light therapy, which has some very good data, and, uh, yoga and... Um, massage therapy that sort of thing so you know there are complementary therapies that do work um, but that's not to say that uh, most of them do at all so tell us a little bit about these complaints that have been made against you then i, I did break complaint was from the chiropractors where i uh, did a lot of research into uh, some of the ill effects and uh, and incorrect claims of chiropractors and uh, of course on breakfast tv it's just a three or four minute segment and they had a chiropractor on the next day who responded, but then the, uh, they, they launched a formal uh, complaint to the Broadcasting Standards uh, Authority. Uh, and uh, to my shock and horror, it was upheld. Uh, I, I wrote my comment, uh, explained my comments and the studies behind them. The chiropractors put forward a, a bunch of nonsense. And the four people on the, uh, the BSA committee training and they believe the chiropractors, so the uh, the complaint was up upheld, uh, one of only about 10 or 15, I think, that year. <laughs> when you consider some of the outrageous things Paul Henry says, I was pretty shocked that, you know, mine was uh, not a miserable upheld, but that's life. Well, and so what are the consequences of that then? Do they, do, do you have to make an apology or what? No, there were no consequences. Uh, the only one could have been that Breakfast TV could have, uh, could have fired me. Uh, but they didn't. They, they backed me. The decision was nonsense as well. So uh, the only reason I don't appear on breakfast uh, regularly now is just uh, practical terms. I live in Tauranga in the Blair Plenty, and you have to be at Auckland at six o'clock on a Monday morning. So I did it for a few years, but it's just uh, it's just not not on the TV. Uh, the other one was more was interesting as well, and that was the uh, magnet um, uh, blanket people. So I, so I talked. 
So I talked about uh, magnetic therapies, how they're, how they're nonsense, saying that uh, thankfully our blood is, uh, the iron in our blood is not sensitive to, uh, to, magnetic, uh, to, to magnets, because if it was, then when we went in an MRI scanner, we'd explode. Uh, they wanted right of reply, came on the next day with, with their nonsense. Uh, but what I didn't realise is that Magnusleep were actually the sponsors of Breakfast TV. <laughs> <laughs> so that caused a, a lot of problems. Uh, but then I also have a few, just putting a few complaints to Victoria University in Wellington where I lecture. Um, I've heard on the grapevine that those and the homeopaths are out to take me down, whatever that means, and that's fine. And yeah, you need a pretty thick skin in, in, in these people have their livelihoods on the line and uh, you know they don't take it lying down. Tell us a little bit about your book on um, complementary therapies for cancer. Yeah, so uh, I mean that's really become the uh, for medical professionals and, and even oncology doctors for this subject because I was getting I do a lot of talks on complementary therapies, what may be useful, and the majority of course uh, what, what what to avoid. And I was getting all these questions on cancer. I couldn't find a good one, so I wrote one. And I do a lot of talks for the oncologists, for the uh, cancer societies. Uh, I do about twenty a year for groups of patients. Uh, and what the first thing, of course, I emphasise is that nothing uh, in the complementary therapy world is going to cure you. Uh, taxol, which is, as you probably know, from the yew tree, uh, but that's not a complementary therapy. That's of natural origin, but it's been refined and used as, in, you know, it's used as a pharmaceutical. That's different. In fact, there's all sorts of people and products out there that are going to uh, potentially harm you and take your money. But there are a number of products out there, probably around 25, uh, which can help with symptoms and quality of life. For this book, do you just focus on the things that work or do you actually debunk the things that don't work? Do both. I mean, uh, it's, um, I don't go into absolutely everything that dozens of therapies. I go through the main ones that people with cancer try or hear about. So I talk uh, about, a, about a page or two on about 25 that uh, have some benefits in terms of symptoms, which may or may not be for cancer. For example, uh, capsaicin is, is, is a useful product for people with cancer and otherwise. Uh, and then I talk about about 25 that don't work. The most common ones, you know, for example, homeopathy, chiropractors, etc. So um, I don't automatically dismiss everything. There are some some decent studies for some of these things. Ginger, uh, a massive study published in one of the major medical journals a year or so ago, found that ginger was uh, just as effective as some of the heavy duty uh, anti-nausea medications that we give people. So there are some useful things. The attitude I take is that at the end of the day, uh, most people, particularly with cancer or other conditions, are going to use complementary therapies. So I think a blanket dismissal of all of them uh, as well as being wrong, uh, is not helpful. So what I'm trying to do, especially when I give talks and write books, is to really point people towards the sensible ones, you know, towards the, towards the fish oil, the yoga, the massage therapy, the St. John's wort, that sort of thing. One of the big things that the alternative therapies people get a big bee in their bonnet about is that um, mainstream science won't publish their stuff, you know, that there's a big conspiracy against them. Um, You've got on your uh, website that you are an author on over 100 publications. Have you had any problem publishing the kind of stuff that's positive about complementary therapies? No, I mean, that's a very poor argument. And in fact, I'd say just the opposite if true. And I think the journals love positive stories on, on complementary therapies. Because, uh, of course, the, light, the journals like stories that the media are going to pick up on and give them publicity. So I don't think that's true at all. Uh, one of my interests at the moment, and I, uh, I must declare I, have a, I now have a commercial interest in this because I'm so excited by the science, and that is the medical uses of honey. I don't know if you've uh, seen, you know, killing bacteria. It kills, seems to kill almost everything, including MRSA. Um, we've done a few little pilot studies for molluscum contagiosum, a virus, 
and for acne and it seems to be working so there's an example of a natural but uh, in terms of getting published no problem at all in fact just the opposite very very easy to publish this is honey lab yeah this is honey lab so we're, we're doing some studies and uh, we've got a product out there because we know at the moment it works for 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 wounds it works for burn the key thing with honey applied to the skin though is you have to have sterile medical grade honey if you put regular honey on the skin it's full of bees knees and all sorts of horrible stuff from the hive and you can actually get quite nasty reactions so you have to use sterilized honey a lot of uses for it and there'll be some more so how do you sterilize it two-stage process uh, one you can either irradiate or pasteurize and secondly you um, you filter it down to about 50 microns i think it's for making medical grade honey uh, as a pharmaceutical awesome so you've been interviewed quite a lot for yeah. various newspapers and what have you What's yeah. the one question you wish that they would ask you, but no one ever does? Uh, look, I can't think of anything, to be honest. I mean, I've sort of developed a way with the media in that you sort of say, yeah, yeah, when they answer your question, ask you a question, then you just talk about what you want to talk about anyway. So I sort of hope I get, when you do an interview, you have this nervous sort of time till it's published because you don't know what, what bits they're going to take and what, they, and what, they, what they're not, you see. And, um, but on the whole, I, I think I've been quite lucky. I haven't been done over, as you would say, by a journalist last year for the, um, what's it, the Sunday show, the sort of current affairs Sunday show on one, I just forgot the name of it, 2020, or one of those anyway, you know, quite a substantial programs. And that was about, and uh, that was about uh, mega doses of intravenous vitamin C for curing cancer, which is a big interest of mine. And I put the case against it. And, uh, and I thought they did a very, a very good piece on that. What's the reaction been from your colleagues, your, your GP colleagues? Um, well, I'm, I'm not a GP. I'm sort of out on a limb. I do a bit of research, a bit of publishing, a bit of media work, and then some clinical trials. So I sort of do all sorts of things. Don't feel in, fit in one particular doctor's bracket like GPs. But look, I get on very well with GPs, apart from some of the ones who uh, have uh, an interest in complementary therapies, which strays into, um, for example, there's about, a dozen or so GPs in New Zealand who give mega doses of vitamin C to treat cancer and other conditions. Uh, I think that's wrong. Uh, I say so openly. They don't like me at all. And uh, when I discuss this at conferences, I have some very heated debates. In fact, it got so heated in Dunedin conference that the uh, the argument uh, made the Otago Daily Times the next day. Which was quite <laughs> Did you um, have a chat with that? Um cardiologist and lawyer when he was over in New Zealand, the one who wrote the book about vitamin C being the cure-all. Did you meet him? No, I didn't meet him, but uh, he, he's one of the ringleaders behind this. And uh, talking absolute nonsense, I think he's called Levy, is that the yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but, but no, I didn't, didn't meet him. But I mean, the, the vitamin C coalition brought him over. Uh, and again, I mean, I'm just so strongly against this. I've looked, I've looked at the data. Um, we've had all the issues recently with experiments with the mega doses of, of vitamin C. And to his credit, I don't know if you saw, he recently said that, um, uh, you know, he, he maybe wished he hadn't announced this because he's become a focus for stay explicitly that it didn't work for him. Um, but it's a very emotive and it's an important issue. Okay. Well, I think we'll um, wrap up there. Thanks so much for, for um, joining us. We'll see what we can make of this because there was a bit of there was a few times where we lost you so we'll see, see if we can cobble you back together again <laughs> thanks sean Thank yeah, yeah look i'm sorry about the connection i say I'm, I'm just on holiday so i'm just in a cafe but if you want to do it any other time i'll be at home with a great connection that'd be great i think i can i think i can make it work and maybe we'll just have you on again anyway oh i'd love to and great many thanks <laughs> we lost
just asking me and downloading them and listening to them like crazy for catch up. All right. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. And Craig, give us a quote. This quote is from Richard Feynman, a very famous physicist. Our imagination is stretched to the utmost, not, as in fiction, to imagine things which are not really there, but just to comprehend those things which are there. Well, I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> right. I got lost I'll read it again. Repeat, yeah. Our imagination is stretched to the utmost, not, as in fiction, to imagine things which are not really there, but just to comprehend those things which are there. Right. Gosh. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. He's no doubt talking about quantum physics. Yeah. Which is one of his uh, things like that. Things. Okay, and word of the day is vocabularian, which is of, like, or pertaining to vocabulary. Oh, that one's really boring. I yeah, oh, that's the one about being flogged. All right, vapulate <laughs> is to flog or to be flogged. Vapulatory. Vapu- of, like, or pertaining to flogging. Well, actually, so, but I thought it was flagellation. Well, it is. But it's also right. vapulate. Oh. Or if you shorten it, vap. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Does it make you go blind? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. If you do it enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's that sitcom that we didn't get very long in New Zealand? Better off Ted. He works with Viridian Dynamics. Viridian apparently means chrome green. So if you've seen Better Off Ted, then um, yeah, because ver- what's it? Verdigris ver- yeah, ver- is the green of the yeah. yeah. that's where that comes from. The Latin. Yep. So there's your words for the day, or the month, or whatever. Oh, thanks, Nathan. <laughs> and have a V on us. I will actually. I meant to bring some, but I left it in the fridge. Is it green? <laughs> it's Viridian V. Yes. And that's it for this month. You have been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to send us a message or ask us a question, check out the contact us form on our homepage, thecusp.org.nz. 